Hi and welcome back to the She Man Toz podcast. My name is Ali AD and today we're going to be playing the live recording of a panel event we hosted inside the She Man Toz membership. This one was all about living your life's purpose, which is a bit of a running theme here at Sheet Mentors and with lots of the women inside our community who are just looking for ways to give back and make a difference in the world. We hear from Catherine Wills, the founder and creative director at Sands Beast, an amazing vegan handbag brand, definitely go and check them out, and Stephanie Lamb, who is the social impact lead at Work180, a jobs platform for women. They're both really candid about their career journeys and the struggles they've had. Uh, and they both talk about burnout and pushing yourself too hard. All of those things that we're guilty of, particularly you know during COVID and when we've got a hundred things that we're juggling. So there are lots of really important messages that come through in this panel discussion and I'm really, really excited to share it with you today. All right, let's dive straight in. So Catherine Wills is the founder of mission-led vegan handbag uh, label Sands Beast and the former creative and managing director of Australian accessories brand Mimco. She's been working in the Australian fashion business for nearly 30 years. Has anyone here heard of Sands Beast, the brand? Do you want to drop a little comment? Yes, if you have. Um, I have two of your handbags, Catherine. Mm. <laughs> and I love them and everyone always comments on them when I wear them. And a little bit of backstory. So we've got lots of yeses coming through in the comments. Soraya, who's in the membership, who I hope is here today. I think she um, is. When she's, yeah, you hear Soraya? Mm. Um, when she messaged me and said, hey, I've got this new, amazing new job with um, this brand called Sam's Beast. I was like, oh, I love that brand. I've got like two of the bags. Like, I think they're amazing. And mm. um, yeah, so then she was like, oh, I can intro you to Catherine if you want. And obviously I was like, yes, please intro me. <laughs> so here you are, Catherine. And Molly's yeah. just dropped your LinkedIn handle Catherine and also um, your Instagram and LinkedIn so go and follow Sam's Beast go and connect with Catherine um, thank you so much for joining us Catherine it's lovely Pleasure. to have you here yeah so do you want to give us a little bit of um, an overview of perhaps your career journey in the early days and kind of how it's evolved to today sure um, I'll try and keep that quite succinct because we are on a lunch hour <laughs> um, yes I've been working in fashion retail broadly speaking for sort of 30 or so years. Um, as most people start out, you start out in sort of junior roles. So I worked in fabrics. Um, I worked in retail. Um, I guess um, my most pivotal roles over the chapter have been with Palmer Corporation, which is JAG, Adele Palmer, um, and that was back in the early 90s. And then Country Road was another big chapter in the knitwear design area. So travelling to Pitti Filati and working with Italian yarns, Italian spinners and working um, across men's and women's network country road. And then um, this is a really abridged version, by the way, there's lots of ups and downs along the way. And then I landed at Mimco. So I resigned from country road. I was pretty unhappy there. And I started freelancing for a couple of years. I just knew that I needed to be free. And I got a call from Amanda Briskin, who at the time uh, well, has always been the founder of Mimco. Uh, and she was looking for some knitwear uh, freelance support. So I came in as a freelance designer with her. And then that sort of one thing led to another. And then I ended up signing on as a full-time person with Mimco. Uh, herself and uh, her then husband, David Briskin, sold the business in 2007. And I stepped up to creative director. And then three years later, took on the commercial side of things in 2010. And then Country Road bought the business. 
Um, and it just grew and grew and grew. And then I made the decision to resign at the beginning of 2016 and I had quite a long notice period, so I left halfway through 2016. That is a really abridged version of sort of how I got to that stage before then deciding on doing this. So did you always want to get into the space, like right from the start? It sounds like it's quite relevant experience. Into fashion or into handbags? Yeah, fashion to begin with. Fashion, definitely. When I was, um, I think I was probably 11 when I realised that I had quite a deep interest in how I presented myself. Um, Didn't really have a whole lot of, you know, notion as to how to do that, but that was sort of when my interest started. And throughout school, I was sort of into art. I was into drama. Um, I didn't study fashion design when I first finished high school. Um, I worked. I've been working since I was 17 and a half. Um, So I worked for a few years and then I went to RMIT after Palmer Corporation and gained a degree in fashion design. Uh, So I knew knew always that that's what I wanted to do. I didn't really know what area of fashion design. Knitwear was something that really resonated with me, which is I guess how I landed in the knitwear department at Country Road and really found a passion in that space. Um, And then when I landed at Mimco, I was... No, it's quite similar to knitwear in a way because when you're when you're making a knit, you're making fabric as you're constructing a garment. Like it's quite technical, and accessories are or handbags, jewellery, shoes. They're they're quite technical things. So I felt that that resonated with me. Well, it did resonate with me pretty loudly, which is why I stayed as long as I did with Mimco um, mm. in that whole accessories world. And how did you sort of navigate between roles? Like, you know, when you look back, had you kind of mm. planned to you know, do a couple of years here and had you mapped it out? Did it kind of organically evolve? Totally organically. I mean, I um, I don't know how you map out a career. I've never mm. had a view of I want to be doing this by the time I'm 25, by 30 I want to be this, by 40 I want to be this. Um, I've always I've always worked very hard. I've I've always had an affinity or um, an empathy for the manager or the boss that I'm reporting to and wanting to take things off their plate and wanting to perform and wanting to impress them. Probably a little bit outdated now, but that was sort of how I was as a junior um, when I was starting out. And I just progressed. I I was the person that could be relied on to get things done. I, I was reliable. I was responsible. And as, as I, I guess, grew, the knitwear design manager role was the, the first sort of senior role where I had um, six people report to me and I was responsible for, you know, the output and the timelines and the margins that we had to achieve in knitwear. So that was heavy, definitely. But I was, I was seen as someone who could get it done. Um, and I like to think that, you know, there was some talents there as well as far as the product that I was, I was putting out into the world. And then with Mimco... Um, I mean, look, I've always come through the creative realm, so I guess that was an obvious progression to go into design and then design management and then creative direction. The commercial side was a part of my brain that's always been very active. I've always been mindful of margins and on-time delivery and doing things on time, like I'm quite a critical path um, pain in the neck, although I often, you know, miss deadlines. Um, I'll always get it done though. The commercial thing was always there and I suppose when there was a gap in the business, the general manager had resigned and the CEO sort of said, I was like, you know, how are you going with recruiting? And he said, well, what about you? And I'm like, I've already got a job. I'm the creative director. And I, again, I just felt like he believes in me. He thinks that I can do this. I will just stretch myself to be able to learn everything I have to learn. And that was leasing and wages and P&Ls and 
just all of that world, um, as well as the creative directorship. I mean, I did nearly, I'm not, you know, I did nearly fall over. Like I did nearly have a little bit of a breakdown at that time. I'm grateful for all the learning, but um, it wasn't, it wasn't what you'd call a, you know, a gentle sort of walking the path of professional development. It was brutal and it was many, many, many hours and often alone doing it. And um, yeah, it was um, forged in the fire, so to speak. <laughs> Why do you think it was, um, it kind of made you almost have a breakdown? Was it because you were on your own or was it lack of knowledge or? Um, yeah, the, the valid questions. Well, I think when you, the actual logistics of working say 80 hours a week is physically exhausting. So that's going to maybe tickle around the edges of a breakdown. I definitely didn't have um, enough support around me. Some great people around me at the beginning, but not necessarily senior enough to, to help with the things that were being asked of me from above, so to speak. But look, I, I figured it out. I, you know, I had to learn to ask for help as well. There was, um, yeah, there was some, de some definitely some challenging times. But once we brought a general manager into the team to be my right-hand person to take a lot of that commercial responsibility and just workload away and some more senior people in design, it was, it was a game changer. Some great people in retail. You know, Mimco went through a, a growth phase like this. So it's not like it was an unusual thing to be on that, um, that rocket and we were sort of bolting people on and trying to make the structure as we rapidly grew and opened more stores and added categories and went into new regions. And, you know, it was very, very, it was an aggressive growth plan. Mm. So a few reasons there, lots of hours, probably too much on the plate um, and a, a wonderful but not necessarily fully equipped team. And I don't think I was fully equipped. So I don't think I was necessarily able to lead them through that that process either. I was always of the, well, I'll just get it done. I'll just be in my office until 10 o'clock at night. Mm. So, yeah, a difficult time, but it did pass and it did get calmer. Mm. By the can, time anyone relate to, yeah, can anyone relate to the story? Because I know in the She Mentors membership there's so many people that say, you know, they've got huge workloads, they don't have support, they feel like they're kind of on their own. Is anyone here kind of thinking, yeah, that's me? Team Diva said, having a supportive manager is key. Yes, agree. Amy said, plus the demands of retail is real. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you did so, like, you did so well. Like, it is difficult when you just, you, like, you know, companies scaling and it's exciting. For sure. It's also, you know, yeah, it's full on. I think, um, I mean, a CEO is not really the same as a line manager. When you're reporting into a CEO, they've got, they've got their own responsibilities and their own board situations to deal with. So yeah. it's difficult for them as I'm, I'm talking about the person I was reporting to, mm. they're not necessarily thinking about let's sit down and talk about a nurturing development plan for you. Um, yeah. You sort of got to be the master of your own, your own universe. And I eventually did mm. ask for some coaching, some external coaching and some, you know, can I take a holiday <laughs> type thing? Like just some, some yeah. bits that I needed to do to be a normal professional person yeah like not work 80 hours a week i've got no a capacity piece. for a lot of work but it's um yeah it's definitely has come at the at the cost of health at times 
Yeah, yeah. Um, a few people have commented here. So Marie said, yes, I can relate. Left my corporate role in April this year. Paige said, absolutely can relate. A leader needs the right support before they can lead their teams. Danielle said, this is really resonating. Long hours, burnout and a lack of support does not spell out success. Um, Marie says, yes, definitely. Was on a huge project mm -hmm. with just no support. Leads to burnout and we're not always good to ask for help. Yeah, we don't ask for help, do we? <laughs> so much. Like, I, this is one of the reasons she mentors exist, so we can actually start asking for help, asking each other. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Catherine. Um, Pleasure. So tell me then, so you went from Mimco. Yeah. Um, what was the sort of point then that you thought, right, I've decided now that I'd like to... Uh, launch my own business and, and why was it sounds based yeah uh, well I just want to clarify first I wasn't at Mimco and deciding I was going to launch a vegan handbag brand it was I was I was all in with Mimco I was there emotionally spiritually logistically completely um, I decided to leave a big part of leaving was I didn't want to work with leather anymore but it was also Groundhog Day I'd been there for a long time and I felt the brand needed a breath of fresh air and I needed fresh air so when I left, um, I sort of started workshopping what I could do um, as far as the next career step. Um, and I consulted for a while. But yes, when I put all my post-it notes up on the wall and did the, the what, how, why sort of matrix, um, it, it just kept coming back to, I still want to stay in the creative space. I still want to stay in fashion, but it needs to be, it needs to be something that, uh, making a platform that can inspire people to think differently about the raw materials that go into particularly leather bags. I didn't initially think, I, I really thought I was over handbags when I left Mimco. I thought I'd been in them for such a long time, it was time to do something different. But when I started looking around, I felt that it was just the most obvious choice. It was where I had the most immediate credibility in the industry. And I was also looking for a handbag. And that is such a cliche. Like I was looking for a handbag mm -hmm. and I just couldn't find one anywhere. It's like, there are so many handbags in the world. But I couldn't find one that I felt was sort of excessively priced, not cheap, but excessively premium sort of priced that had a design aesthetic. There was a lot of vegan bags that were derivative of designer bags that had been copied, but nothing that I could sort of point to and say, oh, that's a blah, blah, or that's, yeah, that's that brand. And so I felt that all of the design credentials that, you know, I'd worked really hard to build within a design team at Mimco, there was, there was an opportunity in the vegan space to do that. And I wanted it to be more than a commercial entity. It absolutely has to be a commercial entity to survive. And it's been a tough time, I will definitely say that. But I wanted it to also be a platform for inspiration and education without, you know, without being preachy or scary for people. You know, I wanted it to be approachable. So that took, me, a while. That took me about a year. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how long did that sort of take? So for the people who are starting their businesses in this community, how long did it take you to kind of get it established and up and running? Yep. So walking out of Mimco, probably about one year later, I incorporated the business. And then another 10 months after that, we launched to market. So the incorporation, pre the incorporation, I'd already been sourcing fabrics. I'd done some rough sketches. But then once incorporating, it was um, making sure I had some freelance help on the design side, which is specking and sketching and getting it all looking great. And then all the rest of it, you know, getting the Shopify site ready to go, creating assets, all the rest of it. That took about 10 or 11 months. So March 2018, we turned the on button, um, launched our first EDM, um, and it was like, this is live. And then we also launched at the VAMP 
at Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival were in two runways accessorising a couple of shows and so it was it was a pretty special weekend it was like this is really happening there's mm. the bags yeah and how did how did you how are you part of BAMF did you use your existing network to kind of leverage and get kind of exposure or how did you get that publicity in the early days yeah um yeah I did of course I definitely um used any tapped anyone that I knew um at the end of 2017 we did a PR launch up in Sydney and I'd made a bit of a mess of the invitation list because so much has changed in the publishing space. I had an outdated list. So I rang a, um, a great contact and she put me in touch with a PR agency, Adam Walling. And Adam and his team came in at the last minute, got all the people that needed to be at this showing there. And that's when the Iconic came along. I'd already, I already knew the senior buyer at the Iconic anyway. So yeah, sort of pulled in whoever I knew to get there um, and then the rest really was up to the product. I mean, you know, knowing people is really important and that's that's key but then the brand, how it looks, the actual branding, the logo, the product, that all has to stand on its own. Otherwise, it's nice, nice try, Kath, but sorry. And that's, that's not what it was. It was all, this is great, we're going to buy it, we're into it, you know, we've got it... We can gift this person, this person, this person. So that's what happened for Vamp. We had a lot of people walking around the shows wearing our bags and then actually in the shows there was a couple of stylists that used the product to um, accessorise the shows. So it was a pretty amazing launch. We came out of we came out pretty strong as an opening brand, I have to say. Mm. Yeah. Do you think that, you know, the purpose behind your brand, did that differentiate yourself from a lot of other brands at that point? I mean, I like to think so. I think that um, I think that having an authentic reason to exist is a di differentiating factor. I mean, I think I think actually having gone vegan myself prior, having a belief system that's pretty very important to me um, resonates definitely. I don't think it's what all of our customers come to us for at all, but I think that there's there's a lot of people out there that are vegan or that don't want to buy leather anymore um, because of environmental reasons or animal welfare reasons and they've been looking for something that is not luxury that's affordable that's not cheap and cheerful that's you know that's in the premium space so i think i think having a true voice i.e a purpose is something that people you know it resonates with people but i think that's just human nature like we want to talk to real people we want to talk to real brands we don't want to we don't necessarily relate to brands that are nameless, faceless organisations. And I think that is only going to get stronger as time goes on, you know, and Gen Z enter the workforce and the generation after, after Gen Z. It's just going to get more and more, people are going to become more and more aware of bullshit. They're going to want real conversations. Yeah, I love it. Um, I came across your band first because I loved the look of the bags and then I read your kind of purpose and the mission behind it and I was like just as you just said I was like love this and it makes you oh. want to support the brand more so that's amazing thank, thank you, you for that intro into your career history in Sun Space we're going to come back to a few challenges around this hmm, um, sure. but next I would love to um, hand over to Stephanie Lamb hello Steph um, I'll just read a little bio and then we can get stuck into your career history as well so Stephanie is the social impact lead for Work 180 
a purpose-driven tech startup on a mission to make workplaces more inclusive. After graduating uni, Stephanie spent her life savings volunteering and setting up a not-for-profit overseas. She's passionate about understanding how different cultures prioritise social issues and implement change. Now, Steph is in the membership, so you can book mentor hours with her. And Work180 are a partner of She Mentors as well. So if you haven't heard of Work180, I would love you to go and check them out. I think Molly's going to drop the URL into the chat because they are a jobs platform for women. But I will let Stephanie explain all about that. Steph, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, before we get started, I just want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which we meet and pay my respects to elders present and emerging. So like Ali mentioned, I'm the social impact lead for Work 180 and my role is all around quantifying and amplifying the social impact of all of our partnerships. And if you haven't heard of Work 180, we're a digital platform that creates a transparent directory of employers that we vetted to make sure that they meet a minimum benchmark to actually prove that they have initiatives in place to be inclusive of women and really championing a, a diverse uh, workplace. So every employer, if they want to post a job with us, if they want to share their stories with us, they have to have proven by making initial investments in women's careers, have basic things like flexibility and really be honest about it, have the parental support. We've got a list of over 20 different policies that are transparent on our platform. So you are informed yourself as to which employer you want to choose to work for. And the way I like to think of the business is really when I go shopping outside in the grocery stores, I like to look for labels that say either vegan or plastic free, etc. Those really clear badges that I trust. Work 180 is that badge for employers that have made investments in women's careers and are trying to be more balanced. Um, so that's how I see Work 180. Um, some of the things that I do there, I would say it's... Um, uh, let's think you've got a company that's been endorsed that on our platform now. It doesn't end there. We really focus on continuously improving. And because my role is all about how can we grow that social impact, it's highlighting which issues really, really matter. An example we have from one of our other partners, the Stillbirth Foundation, was mm -hmm. around about 2018. We noticed that a lot of our employers, they had parental leave, but they didn't extend it to stillbirth, which meant that you could go... <sighs> have a stillborn and then be expected to go back to work the next day and one of our community members um, messaged our CEO and said this is going on it's unfair and I don't want this to happen to any other people so we partnered with the Stillbirth Foundation we started championing this policy making sure that we implement it so that it's to all parents and since then so many organizations have signed up and extended their policy that a million employees now have access to parental leave when they experience stillbirth. And that's the type of things that we're continuously trying to champion. And if there's over 20 different benefits that we're trying to focus on and policies we're trying to focus on, you can just imagine that accumulative impact. And how I see it is when you're, you're, you're choosing your careers, if you're asking employers about this and you have that information, you're also keeping them accountable to step up and make sure that they're implementing these things. So it, it really empowers women with that transparency and um, allows you to drive change by choosing employers aligned to your values. Love it, Steph. 
Love it, love it, love it. Um, Fiona said, what a wonderful outcome. Um, yeah, that's, that's, it is such, that's the kind of impact that you're having um, with Work 180. I know a, a member of ours recently shared in a group event that she'd had to resign from her role because she'd had a couple of miscarriages and wasn't allowed time off to recover. And in the end had to resign and everyone on the call was devastated for her because you shouldn't have to go through that and not feel supported um, by your employers. So, mm. yeah, the brands you work with on Work 180 are, are, like you said, vetted so that you kind of have this tick box of these are great brands to work for. Yeah, so I think you do some amazing work. So tell me then, how did you come to Work 180? Like, if you take us back right to the beginning, what was your career journey like? Right, if I really take it right to the beginning, the first job was like sewing clothes with my mum <laughs> in their house because um, as migrants, Vietnamese migrants, one of the most common jobs was sewing clothes. Um, so from four, three years old, we're in the back, we had three sewing machines and sewing the labels. If you've ever worn a shirt from The View and you see those nice labels, I probably did that when I was five. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um, one of the things that I... That, that's where I started working. Um, but I would say right after uni, what I'd done was, um, oh, let's take it back even further. Before uni, coming from a migrant family, what looked like a great career and what looked like a great life plan was to buy a house, work in a corporate job, be stable, be married by 28. That seemed like amazing. And especially because my families were refugees. They spent two years on a refugee camp. The, there's a meme that's going around that says, oh, I'm, my parents are migrants. I have to be a rich capitalist. That was, that was very much my mindset growing up, but I had to have that purpose, uh, that really well-paying career. So I worked three, four jobs throughout high school and I had scholarships to pay for as much as I could. And by 19, I had, um, savings for the deposit for a house, my first investment house. Um, and around about that same time as I started university, I started seeing that now that I've got this education, now that I've got all of these opportunities, maybe a successful life can look like more than just finishing this degree because I, I kind of know what the outcome is going to be if I keep working along the same path, but I don't know what's going to happen if I invest myself elsewhere. So I joined a not-for-profit that's a global not-for-profit that's focused on youth development um, and really building cross-cultural awareness. And I, instead of investing in a house, I said, if I invest in myself and my learning and my cultural awareness, I will eventually be a valuable enough human being that I can probably get a job to buy a house in the future. I have until I'm 100 years old to buy a house. So that's what I said to myself. And I took all of those life savings and I went to Colombia, I went to um, Bangladesh. I, I went around the world to places where the culture was completely different from everything I knew so that I could learn, okay, how do they, what do they consider success in their society? How do they gain that success? Um, how do people navigate challenges? Like, for example, when I was in Bangladesh, it was, there's so much growth opportunity and in dark of the city I was in, it's the most densely populated city in the world. So simply getting to work would take an hour, an hour's trip. 
But still, people were able to do that, show up to the office, still be very vibrant and make a huge impact. Um, and everything was paper-based. So learning how resourceful people were in Dhaka really helped me when I came back to Australia and I had this nice MacBook and I have an iPad and everything can be done in five minutes that would usually take me an hour over there. So that's where my career led me to that not-for-profit, investing in myself, came back to Australia with a view that oh, we've got it so easy in Australia. I've done all of this where everything was paper-based. I'm going to be able to really excel. And the companies in Australia as well, there's so much money that can be put into these really purposeful actions. Like in Colombia, $10,000 is enough to pay for one whole school. And I know that company budgets are much more than $10,000. So if there's a way to tap in these big corporations and then tap into these, these purposeful projects, then it's we can solve so many wealth issues. And that's why I started looking at, okay, which company is working with these big brands, but is also very mission-driven. And I connected to, I was quite shameless. Um, I went on LinkedIn and I added everybody that would listen to me, that, that would say, I, I just want to hear about the work you're doing. Um, and if they were willing to meet me for a coffee and I would just learn about what people are doing. And I learned about diversity and inclusion and I learned about work on 80 so that's how I landed at work on 80 on after multiple of these conversations and doing the work that I do now I think that's really good that you were shameless and mm. just reaching out to people because that's often often what holds us back is we're like oh I don't want to do that because it feels pushy and it feels too uh, but you obviously had huge success with that yeah, I think some people probably have blocked me because they think, oh, who's this random person <laughs> trying to add me? But that's, that's okay. <laughs> like, there's plenty of other nice people. Yeah. And what did you, what did you think when you arrived at Work 180 and you could apply all this knowledge that you, that you got from your amazing career around, you know, Mexico and Colombia and Bangladesh? Like, how have you sort of applied that learning to the work you're doing? I think it's really the soft skills as opposed to the solid knowledge because um, the, the cultural context in these different countries is so different what works there is so different to Australia but it was the adaptability and the hunger to learn and um, desire to listen that was built in me that when I came to work on 80 and then what's really important is I had great leaders that kind of just said do everything that you think is worth doing. <laughs> um, make the most of your time. The social impact role, I did that in my spare time and they said, let's make it as part of your official role. So um, those soft skills helped me come to work on 80 where the leaders were open to for me to follow and solve problems that I saw were available um, and build my own path. Um, the CEO, Gemma, says it's a, what is it? Choose your own, choose your adventure kind of career with Work 180. Oh, I love that. So you didn't start with Work 180 as a social impact lead. What was the no. role you started with? Business development manager. Okay. So you did say so you were doing the social impact stuff on the side and then Gemma was like, you're doing an amazing job. And then you sort of were able to carve your own path. Yeah, because beforehand we had all of this social impact and the team was so busy just constantly trying to find new ways to help employers and help women that they didn't quantify all of this. It's actually how many women are positively impacted by all of this? How many people are we actually reaching when we do this? So I said, I was out of curiosity. I pulled it all together and presented it to the team. And that's where it became an official role. And we mm -hmm. realized it's so core to what we do. We have to be able to quantify this. 
Love that. For those of you who um, aren't familiar, so Gemma Lloyd, um, I interviewed on the She Mentors podcast uh, two years ago. Uh, so go and read it because it's about the importance of paid parental leave for both men and women. And it was one of our most popular um, podcast episodes, actually. And we were both pregnant at the time that we recorded that. Um, and she's absolutely lovely. So shout out to Gemma if she's here. Steph, okay, so let's talk about then, to both of you actually, Catherine and uh, Stephanie, let's talk about some challenges you had um, along the way. If Stephanie, if you want to kick off first, um, what would you say has been the biggest challenge of your career to date? I would say the biggest challenge for my career didn't come from the work, but came from family expectation. Because I come from this migrant background, refugees, we didn't have much money growing up. My family really questioned, we don't even have money. Why are you trying to raise money for other people? Mm. Um, so it was really trying to challenge the belief that you have to be extremely wealthy. You have to be a certain background to be able to help other people. Um, so that was the challenge. And my family didn't know when I was leaving for all of those different countries. So I would say very roughly, I'm going to for a holiday in America's. I'll see you in a year's time. <laughs> and <laughs> I didn't even tell them when I'll be back, but it was only that that was the, the biggest challenge, having to be very vague about what I was doing to be able to pursue it. And it's only now that it's led me to the career that I'm at that they've said, okay, it, you, you did know what you were doing. It's, um, we shouldn't have questioned it as much. So uh, that was my biggest barrier. Did really well to push through that and actually go ahead and do it anyway. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to do that. So yeah, well done. Um, Catherine? Uh, oh, sorry, go on, Steph. Oh, I was going to say, uh, family calls it shameless. So I like, I like to celebrate that word, shameless. <laughs> <laughs> yes, love it. We claim it. Um, yes, Catherine, do you want to share yours? Um, biggest challenges. Uh, look, I think... I, I don't think I've necessarily overcome this in life. I have very high expectations of myself. And I think um, throughout my career, particularly, you know, when I started having managerial positions and then leadership positions, so from like late 20s onwards, I think just that the challenge of making sure that I'm kind enough to myself to let go at times, to take the foot off the accelerator a little bit um I think I think when you're constantly you know feeling the weight of the business on you um whatever business I've been with including my own the challenge can be in like the CEO that I used to report to at Witchery Group and then at Country Road used to say to me you know Kat just don't sweat the small stuff and I just used to think everything like it's and he's like and it's all small stuff it's like and it's not it's all very important um and I think just the challenge has been to just let some things go um and I know that the people that I work with right now are listening to this thinking yeah have you, have you learned that yet uh, <laughs> and I actually have um, I, I don't let everything go, but compared to where I was at five or six years ago, I definitely um, have lowered expectations and don't um, don't sort of go as hard as I used to. Um, so it's just that it's the accelerator, I suppose, just taking the foot off the accelerator um, in order to have a, um, a healthier, balanced life. And often when we do have that rest and we take off, off the accelerator, that's when like the creativity happens and the ideas come. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I, 
when I used to take holidays, you know, when we, um, John, um, my partner and I, like, if we'd go to Bali or wherever, that would often be, you know, where creativity struck, whether it's creativity and strategy or design, just that. And and now, you know, it's not Bali, but it's a walk around the block or it's, um, it's so exciting compared to Bali. Um, you know, it's taking some time out to relax and not just go, 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 go. Like you have to clear, clear the air sometimes. And I'm much better at doing that now. Mm-hmm. I still get to the point of, you know, the edge of the cliff, but I definitely know when to know that I have to then pull back and just do non-work related things to get those creative vibes buzzing again. Yeah, definitely. Um, Amy Rush says, yes, Catherine, I still suffer from that, but we get better with age, I think. Yeah, well, I hope so. so. I'm 51, so I'm sort of thinking that that's um, not a, um, yeah, I guess I've still got more time to go to be evolving those skills. Mm, Who knows where I'm going to be when I'm 60. Yeah, you'll have nailed it by 60. Oh, totally. Um, (laughs) Wise old sage. Not old at all. 60's not old. A young 60. Wise, wise young owl. Yes, yes um, exactly. So, Stephanie, can you relate to that? Like, have you had the same kind of experience with, with Catherine's story? With very, very high expectations of oneself, I would say definitely. And I've, um, to, the, to the detriment of my, again, family's expectations, um, like when I say something, when I say I, I'm committed to doing this, I really have to do it. So... In my last trip, when I was going to Bangladesh, the, I was actually very ill and the doctors had said to come back. And I felt like I'd invested all of this time, all of this money, all of this faith in the projects in Bangladesh. But if I didn't do it, I would be doing something. I, I would be more disappointed with myself than I could possibly feel better by staying at home. So I pushed myself to go there and Luckily, I wasn't stranded in Bangladesh, but I was very close to being. But it was <laughs> it was one of those moments that when I came back, I said, you can't give with an empty cup. So having yeah. burnt out so early, having worked so hard where I was on 24-hour calls because we're, because we're working with international teams, you have to be available. You have to be ready to respond when somebody needs something, especially if you're the leader there. Um, and so I'm really glad I burnt out and get, got as sick as I did at at that stage in my career because that's now coming back, hearing stories of other people sharing about how burnout just isn't worth it, how it can take so many years to just put things back together after you've driven yourself to that stage. It's um, it's redefined what successful work looks like for me. Yeah, I love that. Um, Katie said here, having drive is great, but it can be like a double-edged sword. It can take us to the highest places, yet it can also be our undoing. Working sustainably is so important. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people in agreement um, in the comments, if you can see them. They're flooding in, so it's quite hard to keep up with them. Um, But, Steph, you've had another couple of comments from people as well. Caroline said she can really relate to your experience. She also has a Vietnamese background. Um, so yeah, have a little read of the comments um, after this, you know, when you get a chance. Um, so if you could go back to the very start of your career, Steph, what would you kind of say to yourself and what kind of little pep talk would you give yourself? I think what we just mentioned about managing the energy, because it did take me a year to put myself 
back together after that extreme burnout. It's it's know where your limits are because if you really do want to make a long-term impact and you really do want to help the people like you say you do, then you have to help yourself first. I would I would try to draw that into myself, even if I was stubborn, that, that would be the most important message. Catherine? Look, I think I would say to my younger self, firstly, don't get married at 22 years old. That's too young. And for me anyway, not for everyone. Um, and I would say start exercising really young and make sure that you have that outlet from a physical perspective. <clears throat> I am not a, a dedicated exerciser now. I mean, I do do exercise, but not nearly enough. And I, I, I wish in hindsight that that had been incorporated into my life. No time like the present. I mean, I don't think there's any, it's always a good time to start. But I think getting that into your routine and learning some of those, you know, pens down, just go and look after your health moments would have been a good thing to embrace at that stage. Um, yeah, in my early 20s. Because um, I really got onto a treadmill of working probably from, well, really from 25 um, and then full on from about 28 all the way through to um, leading Mimco and then, you know, starting this business as well. Um, I don't think I got to complete burnout, but I definitely, as I said, tickled around the edges of it. Um, who knows? Who knows what? I certainly wasn't in a hospital. Um, so, yeah, I just kept going like a bull at a gate. <laughs> it's a vicious cycle, isn't it? I bet you everyone here can relate to that. Like I have to literally schedule time into my calendar for my own personal time because if I don't, if it's not in there, I just fill it with other things and meetings and running around. And so now I really try and do that um, and be very strict about it. But it's a real habit that you just need to keep being reminded of. So there's lots of comments here saying people can really relate to this. Um, Adriana said, do the speakers have inspiration from any role models um, in this sort of space or generally? Do it, any role models spring to mind? They don't really spring to mind from history, no. I mean, I've, I've taken different things from different people over the years. I mean, you know, certainly what I was presenting before as far as the CEO that I reported to back in the early Mimco days, post Amanda selling the business, you know, he was a, um, is a, a tough guy. But um, even, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. Like he would be quite, he had a lot on his plate, but he did have little pearls of wisdom that I found. The fact that he could just let things go as easily you know, I thought that was quite inspiring. I think like now I've been doing the Kaya classes in the morning with Leah Simmons. I look at her and I think that's an inspiring role model because there's breath work, there's movement, there's, you know, energetic sort of flow going on. Um, but in the professional space, I can't think of, there's lots of different people that have come into my life that I'm really grateful for, but I can't actually just name oh, that's them okay. for you now. That's okay. No, that's right. I think you draw inspiration, like you said, from everyone and lots of different walks of life. So I think yeah. that's wonderful, yeah. Um, Stephanie, from you, otherwise I'll go to the next question. I don't mean to put you on the spot. That's fine. Um, for me, again, it's a little bit from everyone. Um, Gemma, our CEO, and Valeria, our, CEOs, our two CEOs, they are some of the most inspiring women that I know. They're so genuine and the fact that they've built this entire platform because out of their own experience and desire to help other women, I've just never met so many leaders in one workplace that really every every touch point that you have with them, they're living those values. Like I can almost 
characterize them because it's consistent um and uh, it feels almost pretty it's like a fangirl <laughs> over the leaders that we have in the business but mm-hmm. i think um once you get to know them and if you follow them after some time you can see why it's they they learn lessons and then they implement it so they know that things aren't perfect they don't do things perfectly and they're so honest and open about that so it just makes it so real and easy to connect to Mm. Yeah, of, I don't know about you, but I've never, I mean, I don't think any of us are perfect, be it whether we're a CEO, managing director, or, you know, any level of an organisation. I think, you know, the danger is putting people on pedestals and thinking that they, um, they've they got everything worked out. I mean, I think everyone is going through their, their multiple pillars of their life and some things are out of sync and some things are cooking with gas and sort of just depends where people are at. Yeah. yeah, and it's that openness. Like when they're so open to say, "I'm not perfect, and I need time off." That's it's human, and it's some. It's the most admirable thing to be so human, to be so honest about it. For sure. Yeah, I think that's the one of the great things about the She Mentors community is that all of us are like, we're not an expert. That's why we're all here. That's why we're all learning from each other. That's why we can be honest in these lovely events about the challenges because we're all we've all been there. We're all getting through it. Um, so yeah so just a few questions around purpose um, as this is sort of one of the reasons kind of we're here um, lots of people kind of struggle to identify what their purpose is what does having a purpose mean to you does it need to be this big thing or can you be sort of making a difference on a day-to-day um, Catherine do you want to go first I think you can definitely be making a difference on a day-to-day I mean I think um, personally I think that it's it's worthwhile to strive to be spending time if you're working being paid for work working on something that resonates with you working on something where you feel is going to make a difference to the people that you're working with or to customers or to um you know if it's a not-for-profit to a community um or in our case we're a for-profit business but we we do um, raise money for edgar's mission and we also donate to various other worthwhile organizations that we believe in so I think you, you have to have some sort of connection to what you're doing. I think if you're just clocking on and clocking off, then um, that, that is not rewarding. I mean, I don't think everyone has to be striving to be the CEO, but I think it makes for a, a more purposeful life if you have got some sort of connection to what you're doing, I think. Yeah, I don't think it all has to be in the charity space or in the giving back space, but I think it all has to be well, it doesn't have to be anything. For me, it's important to ask who am I serving and how can I serve better? And I think, you know, if you're, a, if you're in the retail space, you are serving a customer. So I think it's always rewarding for me to think of it in that way. And as far as finding what that is in your life, I think you just try out a few things and you just open yourself up for things that resonate. And I think learning to be in touch with your intuition and not ignoring it. And I know that sounds like a cliche, but I remember when I first heard that from these futurists that came to Country Road to do a talk probably when I was about 25 or so. And they they were talking about don't underestimate your intuition. And it just really resonated with me because I think I had been. And I think, you know, from then on, learning to nurture your intuition and actually get in touch with that gut feeling the right way or the path will make itself obvious to you I think you know we've got all the answers inside us I think sometimes it is a bit tricky to you know present themselves to us. Steph what are your thoughts on that? 
I really like the way that Catherine described having a purposeful career and it's not necessarily you have to be in the, the, the charity space, et cetera. It's almost redefining how I see it as purpose always gets described like as well, it's a noun. It's something you have, I have purpose. This is, I know what my purpose is. But if we treat it more as a verb where we, it's something that you're doing, every action mm-hmm. that you're doing can be purposeful. It's how mm-hmm. you draw purpose from it. How do you interpret it? Like making a great cup of coffee, that could make somebody's day. Exactly. That's a very purposeful career in itself. Mm-hmm. It's being able to pull that out and, in terms of actually finding that purpose, I guess it's being able to unpack what are you doing now and why are you doing it? Like a saying that I like to say is the quality of my life will grow in direct proportion to the quality of my questions. So what questions am I asking myself? Is, Is this work doing, am I doing this out of a sense of status or am I doing this out of a sense of impact and it doesn't matter what the answer is it's just building that awareness and Mm. once I ask a whole list of questions so I have this quarterly activity that I do called my dream life where I complete an ikigai um, template so that's if you've heard of ikigai it's Mm. it's a template to find your life's purpose Um, so I complete that every quarter and I just ask a whole bunch of questions and then every every year I pick out which questions helped me learn the most about myself and then I reiterate it and then that's helped me create like a purpose statement but again it's more so that I can know am I being purposeful in all the actions it's it's um it changes every year sometimes it changes every quarter depending on what's happening in my life but that's that's been a tool that's really helped me stay grounded in what I'm trying to do that is so brilliant I love that I do too so it's icky guy how do you spell that Someone's I asking. I think we, everyone wants it now. <laughs> yeah, it is I-K-I-G-A-I, Ikigai. Okay. Yeah, someone got it right yeah. in there. Mm. Yeah, yeah, we've got a few people that know it. Okay, that's amazing. So you do that quarterly? Quarterly, on a spreadsheet, yeah. so I can see what happened last quarter. Yeah, I really love how you've described that, both of you. I think it's about understanding yourself and those actions that you take. And being that, having that self-awareness, um, particularly by doing having a tool like that that you can that you can use. Um, so I'm going to go to a quick fire round because I'm looking at the time. And then while I'm doing this quick fire round, if anyone has any questions they'd love to ask, please drop them in the comments now. Um, okay, so best book you've read this year, Catherine? Um, the Overstory, uh, Richard Powers, I think it is. It's about trees. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, what we'll do is we'll make a little note of these, and then we'll. It's amazing. It's an amazing resources. story. It's not just about trees. It's it's our connection with nature and different people and their connection with the natural world. It sounds very hippie, but it's an amazing book. I yeah, I love it. Heard about it on a um a Tim. What's his name? Oh my god, Tim podcast guy. Tim Ferriss Tim podcast. Ferris. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he was talking to Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman recommended it. So, of course, I went and got it. Um, And it's amazing. It's an amazing read. So I had to buy a few copies because I've given a few out as gifts and I need to actually read it again. It's very uplifting. What was the name of it again? Um, Overstory or The Overstory. The Overstory. Okay. All right. Thanks for that. Uh, Stephanie, best book Uh, you've read this year? The Wife Drought by Annabelle Crabb. I'm going to read that. Really good insights about how um, when you have support from a partner, that's one of the key ingredients that 
um, for example, men have the support from their wives to be able to really focus in on their careers, but men can take on that wife responsibility as well. Um, she unpacks some of the stats around how men are also don't have that, mm. that, that expectation that they can take on that role. So favorite stat is that men are 50% more likely to have their flexibility rejected when they say that they want to take leave for them family reasons, which means they can't take that extra time to support us with our careers with that societal expectation. I love that. I'm going to read it for my list now. Okay, favourite, uh, no, what are you listening to? Uh, podcast, audiobook at the moment. Catherine? I'm listening to an audiobook called, um, I just want to get the title right, Who Gets to Be Smart, it's called. It's by Bree Lee, and it's just about the education system across the globe and how um, it's been built systemically to support white, able, wealthy people. Okay. <laughs> and um, just how di the disenfranchisement has occurred, and it's we're basically not living in a, in a meritocracy, um, which I know is not news to most people, myself included, but it's a really, it's a really good listen so far. She has done a huge amount of research from, you know, Harvard to all sorts of uh, different universities and just the inherent racism but also elitism and privilege that has pervaded our education systems for hundreds of years um, that locks out so many people is pretty appalling. Mm. So, yeah, that's my uplifting listen for <laughs> lockdown. But yeah. it's very educational. <laughs> uh, Richard says, I've read that one. It both disgusted me and wowed me. So, okay, thanks for that, Catherine. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie, what are you listening to at the moment? Um, it's an audio book from Neil Gaiman called The Ocean at the End of a Lane. He's one of my favourite. It, it's not a nonfiction, but he's my favourite author. The way he reads books is so engaging. It's really mm. evocative language. So it's something that I, I always turn to Neil Gaiman when I need to escape and just go into okay. some, some magical world. Ooh. Love it. Love it. This is good. I really needed some um, book recommendations and, yeah, in space. So this is mainly for my own benefit. Uh, Favourite quote <laughs> of all time? Last question, then we'll go to questions in the chat. Catherine? Um, I've had a notebook that I got in my early 20s and I still love the quote. I think it's a little bit cliche. It's probably turned up on typo cards, but um, go confidently in the direction of your dreams, live the life you've imagined, which is a Thoreau quote. And it always resonates with me. And I remember reading it and deciding that's exactly what I was going to do. I really love that. And I did. Yeah. Yeah, you did. You did a lovely job of it. Um, so I'm still doing it. You're still doing it. I'm still rocking it. Um, for me, it's from my favourite book of all time, The Little Prince. Um, mm. It's a children's book, but it's amazing. Um, yes. And it's is and now here's my secret, a very simple secret. It is only with a heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. That's so beautiful. I agree. Love that one. Ah, warm. Love it. That's a nice way to kind of end the, the event. Does anyone have any final questions? I know people have to jump off um, for the meetings. And if you do, that's absolutely fine. Uh, the recording of this will be available for our members. Um, does anyone have any final questions in the chat? Angelie um, yes. had a question. Oh, Angelie, did you want to unmute yourself? <laughs> Sorry, I've lost the comment now. That's okay. I was just wondering because I started doing that ikigai thing as well, but I got stuck when it, you're trying to figure out what your purpose statement is. So um, I just wondered if you guys could share, if you have a purpose statement, um, you know, what that is with us. 
I don't have a purpose statement. Sorry, um, not actually just a, a sentence. Yeah, I mean, other than to inspire people to think differently about exploiting animals and to do that in the fashion and creative space. That's a bit of a statement. That's um, a statement. But it's not written <laughs> yeah. <that> anywhere. <laughs> it's in my head. Mine is to help people see the best in themselves. Beautiful. Um, any questions? I think I think not. We've got lots of lovely comments. So Judy said, thank you all, brilliant conversation. Um, Bridget said, she mentors book club, anyone? We actually did have a book club last year. Uh, so who knows, we might re-spark that one. Who, what are the comments we got? Um, I think you've just found your purpose statement, Catherine. That's from Katie. Uh, Marie said, what a great session. So many insights and new information I wasn't aware of. I wasn't aware of work when I and I work at BHP and can see they are a client. Ah, there you go. Um, yeah, lovely. So before we wrap up, I just wanted to say a big thank you to both Catherine and Stephanie for giving up time today okay. and yeah, just being so candid and honest about your experiences because this is what obviously we're all about. Uh, so thank you so much. Um, we're going to be sending a little round up post um, and we'll be leaving links so that people can go and shop with you, Catherine, and your amazing handbag range. Honestly, you're, I think someone, I think maybe Chris, one of our members already commented to say she'd already just bought a handbag from your website. So <laughs> everyone go over and shop yeah, local thank you and uh, and stephanie with work 180 being a partner obviously you're going to hear lots about work 180 over the course of uh, the next few months so um if you want to connect with steph she's available for mentor hours i don't know if you have you got any left this month steph or yeah but i still have i'm pretty sure yeah okay get ready for bombardment of people trying to book you um, natasha <laughs> said thank you so much this is a great session kate said thank you so much ladies really enjoyed this big thank you to our guests Catherine Wills and Stephanie Lamb as usual I've dropped their links in the show notes below so definitely go and connect with them Steph is also in our membership so you can book her for one-on-one -on -one mentoring um, if you're new to She Mentors and you have no idea what I'm talking about then jump over to shementors.com.au it's a really incredible platform for women who want to give and receive mentorship so it's a way of giving back and helping other women succeed and we'd absolutely love to invite you to come along and join the community attend events like these and really get involved in the conversation thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time